the late, great Robin Williams. Classic movie, Dead Poets Society, sees the day. You remember seeing that? Did you see that for the first time? You remember that being compelling? There's something compelling about that idea because none of us know how much time we have. And we all are aware that there are opportunities, there are moments, there are aspects of our life that if we don't seize them, if we don't reach out and grab it, if we don't make the most of it, when we have the opportunity, it will pass by. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. My name's Caleb. I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't met yet, you're jumping into a uh, very friendly, warm, welcoming, loving community. And we're also in the middle on Sunday mornings of talking about a series called Oh, the Places You'll Go or We'll Go. And we're talking about this in terms of our life and our path and our journeys and how they're often unexpected. We've talked about different heroes, characters, people in, uh, in these ancient scriptures that still have so much relevance to us today. We've talked about their journeys and how they've been kind of up and down, side to side, that someone thought that maybe their life was supposed to go like this and it actually ended up going like this. And we've talked about how looking back with the benefit of perspective and time that we see in these stories and in these journeys, purpose and even plan. An intention, and that somehow this big, great, mysterious God can weave all of our stories together for good. Even the things that we screw up, we've talked about, He can even turn disasters into good things. He can turn things that other people have done to us or, or ways that we've gotten off track somehow. This, this incredible, big, great God can make good out of it, and can weave even the bad for a good purpose. So that's the series that we're in, and this morning we're talking about the story of Esther. Say Esther. 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 There's a T-H in it. Don't let that throw you off. We just say Esther. And, uh, and Esther, you find her story in the Old Testament part of the Bible. What I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight three observations from this story. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm going to summarize it, give you the highlights, and pull out three observations that are actually action steps uh, that we can take and apply to our own lives. So Esther, she lives in a time when the people of Israel, which have been called like God's chosen people in that part of history, when the people of Israel were captive, were taken captive out of their homeland to a place called Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon who went in and conquered the, the Israelites, took them back to Babylon, but then, but then King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon got conquered uh, by the Medes and the Persians, and so now there's it's this Persian kingdom, and the Israelites, the Jewish people, still find themselves 100 or 800 miles away from home in this foreign kingdom. Now their lives are a little bit better. They're not as much slaves as they were, but they're still not great. They're not in the place where they come from. They're not with all of their family and friends, maybe because some have started going back to Judah, to Israel, to, the, to, work, to home. And they're finding themselves over here, foreign king, foreign kingdom, foreign laws, foreign ways. And they're trying to make life work in this setting. Not ideal. Not ideal for them. Don't have all their freedoms and all their dreams and things like that. They're limited. And so that's where we, that's where we pick up the story of Esther. Now, if you have heard of Esther, 
uh, I had growing up. Some of you haven't, and that's okay. Uh, it doesn't matter. You'll get the idea. But when I was growing up, all I heard about Esther was that she was hot. <laughs> right? That was, that was what was synonymous with Esther is that she was, that she was really pretty. Uh, because here's what happens in the story of Esther. King Xerxes is the Persian king of the area, kind of the, the, the ruling, the overlord of everything, right? And back then, kings just did whatever they wanted to do. And, and the king had a Persian wife, and the, this wife uh, was disrespecting King Xerxes. Uh, and you don't do that. And so he said, um, you know, Persian wife, I'm done with you. Go away. Uh, which you can do apparently when you're king. You're just like, go, you know, no more disrespect, bye-bye. And, and so, and to make myself feel better about my life and because I've been disrespected now and I need to like boost up my self-esteem, um, hey, all of you attendants, go find me the hottest women in all the land and bring them to me. They're going to be mine now. And they're like, okay, well, that's cool. That's about a good, you know, three months worth of work for us. So we're, we're you know, we're, we're, we'll take the job security. We'll go out and do this thing. And so their job is to go out into the area and find the most beautiful women. We're talking just skin deep kind of stuff here, okay? Physical appearance, most beautiful. And so they grab them and they bring them back to the kingdom. And like whatever it is that you are doing, working at the mall or at Starbucks or, or if you were the head of your organization, the CEO, the, the president of the nonprofit, you're done with that because you're beautiful and the king wants you. What? Okay, so all these women are now with the king. And, uh, and Esther is one of them. Before these women could see the king, they had to go through this whole 12-month process of becoming more beautiful. So they're already really, really pretty, and now there's 12 months of beautification treatment, right? We women, you know what this is. Guys, you can kind of imagine, uh, but there's probably mud masks involved, you know, and soaking and shaving and hair things that I don't need. I just, you know, whatever, some straightening. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't even know. But it's 12 months of that before they can be put in front of King Xerxes, right? And then they're just kind of paraded one at a time. Okay, your turn to try to impress the king. Your turn to try to impress the king. And they're basically just his eye candy and his harem. And that being the king that he can sleep with, that he can kind of make a part of his trophy wife collection. That's the situation that our friend Esther, a Jewish woman, is thrust into. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, uh, the eunuch in charge of the harem. So this guy who's, who's in charge, I picture uh, the one chick with the crazy hair from the Hunger Games. Um, you know what I mean? She's the, the, that's in charge of, okay, you get it. So she asked she asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. So here's what I want us to just start with this morning. She's really, really pretty. We get that, right? So attraction is one thing. Attraction is physical, and we, we get that she's attractive. But admiration, what that verse said, is that she's admired by everyone she came in contact with. Admiration is so much more than attraction, and goes so much deeper than attraction, right? There are, there are people, we all know people, that are like good, 
but then, but then there, there's something about them that just makes them gorgeous. You know what I mean? And then we also know people who are gorgeous, but there's something about them when you're around them, they become gross. You know? <laughs> So what we're talking about is not just being pretty or not being pretty. It's not just physical beauty that Esther has. She has something else that makes her admirable to everyone in the court, to everyone that she's coming in contact with. That is what's unique and special. Now, all of you, all of us, we have something that's kind of attractive about us, right? You might not feel physically beautiful or handsome today or whatever. Maybe, maybe back in the day you think or whatever. But there's still something that could be said to be attractive. You know, maybe it is where you live, the car you drive, what you know, where you work, the skills that you have. They're, they're outward things that people would look at and say, well, that makes that person attractive. But it's much deeper to be admirable. There's something more internal to be admirable. It's a different thing. You get this. You understand this. Admirable is all about the way you do what you do. You can be successful and selfish. You can be wealthy and arrogant and no one likes you, but it's different to be admirable. Something deeper, something more. Something that I want to just define for our purposes this morning uh, in a word. And we're going to call it attitude. The first thing that we're going to see from Esther's story is that she elevates her attitude, which would be our action step. Elevate your attitude. Here's what I mean. You're going to find yourself in times and in places where you didn't want to be there. You didn't intend to be there. You didn't plan on the path going this way. It wasn't your choice. It's not the way that you wanted this thing to play out. What will you do? You might find yourself thrust into a situation, into a work environment, into a team environment, in a marriage, or with kids who are acting up, or, or in, in the cubicle setting, and the people around you are terrible. You might, you might find yourself in situations in life that is not the way that you would draw it up, and the question is, who are you going to be? What will be your attitude in situations and circumstances that are not ideal? Because in Esther's case, it was not ideal. No one just wants to be thrown at the king, please him, make him happy. Away from family and everything else. No, she, she doesn't want that. Just like you don't want some of the situations and circumstances and things that you find yourself in. But sometimes... The only thing that you can control is your attitude. When I was 16 years old, some of you have heard me say this. Uh, my dad wanted to make 16 a marker for like becoming a man. And so uh, celebrate, hey, Caleb's turning 16. This is, the, this is the journey to manhood. And so he had a bunch of adults in my life write me letters about what it means to transition from being a boy to being a man. And so I have this notebook of letters from about 30 people. And in that notebook, there's one letter in particular uh, for this morning that I wanted to mention from my Uncle Joe. My Uncle Joe had, uh, had lived an, an interesting life. He had, been, uh, he had been in the military. He had jumped out of planes. Uh, he had worked a long and difficult career path, bouncing all over the Southwest. He had had some things go wrong uh, in his life, practically family-wise, things like that, some discouraging things. And yet he persevered, and his, 
his advice to me on becoming a man was simply this. The letter, it's, it surrounded just this one idea, and, and these were his words. Sometimes, oftentimes, I think he said, the only thing in your life that you can control is your attitude. You cannot control people. You cannot control all the circumstances as hard as you want to try. But you can't control your attitude, Caleb. And I remember that letter, and I've read it a lot of times. And in the last few years, I've watched my Uncle Joe live that truth out. Because in the last few years, his wife, my Aunt Joyce, has uh, gotten Alzheimer's. And I have watched her deteriorate and watched her kind of lose her capacities and functioning of her mind to the point where she doesn't recognize anybody. And, and it was a slow, gradual process over like seven years or something like that. And uh, at first, it was just a little bit absent-minded. And then all of a sudden, she just couldn't, she couldn't do normal things. And, uh, but my Uncle Joe was right with her, constantly with her, driving her places, taking care of her. Uh, it, it has gotten harder and harder. One of the things that I'll remember forever is when she could no longer get herself dressed or do her makeup. And Aunt Joyce was uh, a proud, she's been a proud woman who loves to look hip and wear makeup and feel pretty. And Uncle Joe knows that. And so when, when Aunt Joyce could no longer remember what to do with makeup and wasn't really sure what went where or how to do this or what, what it looked like and couldn't, couldn't apply makeup, couldn't get herself dressed, Uncle Joe would get her dressed. And then one day he decided to take her to Nordstrom and to sit with her at the cosmetic table and have them teach him how to put on her makeup. And he went back a couple of times because at first he sucked at it. <laughs> but he persevered. And he still puts on her makeup today. And she doesn't recognize him. She's not functioning anymore. But he has chosen that regardless of the circumstances regardless of the hand that he's been dealt, that he will choose to elevate his attitude. That's my Uncle Joe. Some of you can relate, maybe to Alzheimer's, maybe not to Alzheimer's, maybe to something else, but you might find yourselves in situations that are out of your control. Maybe you've tried everything. Maybe you've done what you can do. Maybe it's so much bigger than you, there's, you don't feel like there is anything that you can do except one thing. Is you can choose your attitude. You can choose who you'll be in that circumstance. You can elevate it. It's not just about how you look. It's not just about performance and posturing and positioning. It's something deeper. Something more. It's choosing to have an attitude that honors God, that makes the most of the situation that you're in. Because if you could change it, change it, right? If you can't change it, why get bitter? Why not, why not make peace with it? 
And why not elevate your attitude and make the most of the time that you have? That's Esther's scenario. It might The story from thousands of years ago, it might seem like a million miles away, but she's in an environment pulled out of everything that she knows, thrown in front of a king, just eye candy. And she chooses not to position and to posture herself with all the other beauty contestants, but to have a different kind of presence, a different kind of attitude. And she stands out. And we see that she wins the favor of everyone that she comes in contact with. And then, ultimately, when it's her turn, she wins the favor of this king. Here's what it says in chapter 2. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he sent the royal crown, they set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen. Elevate your attitude. The second thing is pray for favor. Pray for favor. Esther has favor with all the people in the court and then ultimately with the leader, the supreme leader of the area, of the time. Favor with the king. Favor is simply being held in high regard or, or receiving preferential treatment or being honored. Esther knows that favor comes from God and is shown through leaders. Think about that for a minute. Favor comes ultimately from God, but it's shown through, expressed through, you receive it through leaders. Now, some of you, some of us, we, we might be positioning ourselves, posturing ourselves, and performing, trying to earn the favor of a leader, right? You know what this is. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a boss or a manager or a CEO or a government official or an elder board or, or a committee or whatever it is. Maybe... Maybe that's who you're trying to posture and please. But are you constantly remembering that favor comes from God? Pray for favor. And there's others of us that pray for favor. God, put me in this position. God, you know how terrible this manager is. God, you know how difficult my boss is. How could I achieve anything with this principle, with this person here, with this whatever? Right? And you ask God for favor, but you don't honor the authority figure. It doesn't work that way. Favor trickles down. God gives it through people in leadership. That's the way he's wired this universe. There are systems of authority in place. And for you to experience his favor, it's going to come from another person in some kind of level of authority over you. That's how it works. So you cannot pray for favor from God and disrespect the authority figure above you because then he can't give you the favor. Look at what he says in uh, Romans 13. 
Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now, it can be one of the most frustrating things in the world, right? When the person, they don't honor God, they're not paying attention. To, they're doing this all wrong, and we, we get all that. There's, there's so many yeah, buts, yeah, buts, yeah, buts. But the general rule is God has wired this universe and structured it such that authority matters. And even if you disagree, or you're disconnected, or you're at the mercy of, or you don't think that they pay attention, or don't care, or don't get it, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, authority and favor comes from God, but it trickles down through leaders. So pray to God for favor, but honor the people that he puts above you. That's just part of this life. Back to the story of Esther Esther had grown up, she had lost her parents when she was young, and she was adopted by this guy named Mordecai, who was another family member. He took her in as her own, as his own. And so when he, when, when she gets kind of pulled into the kingdom and, and is one of the king's harem, Mordecai stays connected, stays in touch, and wants to try to look out for her as best he can from the outside. And so they're talking, they're communicating back and forth through messengers. And it comes to Mordecai's knowledge that someone that works for the king has in mind to kill all the Jews. Thousands and thousands of people. He's, he's mad at Mordecai, but he has in mind to kill them all. And Mordecai hears about this plan, and so he sends word to Esther and says, Esther, you're on the inside. You have favor with the king. You need to do something about this. This is going to be really bad for all of us. We need you to act on our behalf. And so Esther responds like this. She says, look, all the king's officials and the people in the royal provinces know that if any man or a woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death. Unless, of course, he extends the, the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So I haven't even, I, I, it's, been 30, it's been a month since I've even seen him. And the law is that if I just kind of prance into his presence, that I should be put to death. Nine out of ten times, I've been around here a little while now, Mordecai, nine out of ten times, that's what happens. He doesn't have patience, he feels disrespected, people just get killed. So what you're asking me to do is probably going to cost my life. You get that, right? When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, listen to these words, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Those are the famous words of the story of Esther. Who knows, but maybe all of this, this path that you didn't expect, this favor that you've incurred, this influence that you now have, maybe it's all been about this moment. In essence, what he's saying to Esther and what I'm saying to us is seize the opportunity. Seize the opportunity. You are where you are. 
You have what you have for a reason. Don't miss it. You've, you've elevated your attitude and you've, you've shown, like beyond just the external attractiveness, there's something inside of you that has shown through because of your attitude and because you've prayed for favor and God has given you favor with the king. But the favor that you have and the influence that you have, it just might be for such a time as this. There's a moment. Don't miss it. If you miss it, God will just use someone else. But he could use you. This is your moment. This is why you're here. This is the opportunity. So what does Esther do? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa, which is Persia, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. One of the biggest reasons why we miss out on seizing our divine moment is because of fear. Right? I mean, we can be distracted. We can be not paying attention and the moment passes us by and the opportunity to do something great, we just miss it. But oftentimes, God gets our attention, doesn't he? Through a person or through kind of repeated coming up against something or sometimes it's almost just like a billboard just like flashing at you. Do it, do it, take the risk, take the step, help the person, start the thing. It's you, do it, jump, play, serve. But we're scared. And she has good reason to be scared. Like her head could literally roll. For us, it's probably not about death. Maybe, maybe, maybe your story, there's a risk of death. I don't know. But for most of us, it's not. For most of us, it's fear of what someone will think. For most of us, it's, it's fear of being asked to sacrifice too much. Being fear, fearful of looking like a weirdo. Maybe afraid that this will negatively impact my kids. Afraid of stepping out of some safety bubble that we like to pretend that we live in. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear steal the opportunity to seize your divine moment. Elevate our attitude. We pray for favor and then we seize our divine moment. What fears are in the way of seizing your divine moment? Take a moment and name them. You can't overcome them until you name them. Write them down if you're courageous enough. At least scroll through them in your head and be honest with yourself. What are the fears, maybe in the past, that have prevented you from taking some step of faith, seizing the moment, doing the thing that you feel like, I think God's telling me to do this. I, feel, I just have this sense. I can't explain it. I just, just have this sense. Maybe I should step into that and serve that way or help that person or do that thing or start that. What are the fears that trip you up? And will you choose in the face of those fears faithfulness? Esther does. 
Esther chooses faithfulness. She goes in front of the king. He extends the golden scepter, spares her life. The story goes that that the guy who worked for the king that was trying to wipe out all the Jews, it ends up that he gets killed. And the Jews are, are supported because she sees the moment. For such a time as this, maybe Esther, for such a time as this, you have the favor that you have. Here's one other important key that I would ask you to keep in mind. You have the favor, the opportunities, and the influence that you have for the sake of others. It's not just for you. We tend to think that when we're, when we're elevated to a position that we earned it, we tend to think that when we're given more money that we deserve it. We tend to think that if people think well of us, it's because we're pretty great. And we, re- we forget that it's God who ultimately gives the favor. And it's God who elevates and gives influence and opportunities. And he gives it to you, not just for you, but for the sake of someone else. And Esther uses, leverages her influence and favor for the sake of a people. Who are you leveraging yours for? Who are you leveraging? Whatever favor, whatever influence that you have, who are you leveraging it for? I promise you there's someone, a person, a group, a people, who's vulnerable, who needs supporting, who needs serving, who needs care, that you could leverage your favor, your influence, your opportunity on their behalf. If you're not sure who that is right now, just ask yourself some questions. Where has God given me favor? What opportunity might I miss if I don't do something? How can I elevate my attitude this week? And will you decide to be mindful and aware and looking for opportunities to use the favor and the influence that God gives you for the greater good to serve someone else? Because it's God who gives you the favor that you have. It's God who's put you in the place where you are. It might seem random. It might seem less than ideal. But if you choose your attitude, you can embrace where you are, with whom you interact, and then you can seize the moment when God brings it to your attention, when he puts it in front of you, and you'll know what to do. And you'll have the courage to do it. For some of you that are here this morning, uh, your your divine moment you need to seize is just right now, and that's simply to trust this God. Some of you have been disconnected from God for a long time, and you were invited here, or you were you heard about this, or something, events in your life have transpired, and you're like, oh, I just got to go to church this morning, and you're here for a bigger reason, and it's to reconnect with the God who designed you, the God who gives you life, the God who has purpose and plan for your life. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to do that. Others of you, you it's, it's been confusing and you've never really had a true connection and you can seize the moment 
and just trust this God and begin a relationship with him this morning. That's what I want to invite you to do. Because we gather here on Sundays, 2,000 years later, and every Sunday since, Jesus went to a cross and died because we believe that he was God in human form. And he subjected himself to death for the sake of you having life, life restored, life in connection with him, life to the full, not just going through the motions and trying to look religious and have spiritual beauty contests, but have real and meaningful life. That's what he wants for you. And that's what we believe. So I want to give you the opportunity just to trust him, receive that life from him this morning. The rest of us are praying with you and we're praying that we would have the courage to elevate our attitudes, pray for favor, and seize the moments that he puts in our life. We're, we're all the same. We're all in the same boat. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are the God of favor, that you are the God of opportunity, you are the God of second chances and 1,000 and second chances. We are grateful for that, God. And for, for those of us here who need to either begin a relationship with you or restart our relationship with you, I pray that you would reveal yourself, make yourself clear, and just give them that opportunity right now. That they would seize that moment, that they would receive your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your love, and choose to walk with you. For the rest of us, God, would you help us to courageously choose to elevate our attitudes, to pray for favor that comes through you with respect to the authorities in our life, and then to seize the moments that you put in front of us when you do. In Jesus' name.